Welcome to the Proactive Podcast, brought to you by Me Media. G'day, well, Chris Ogan coming to you from Swish Sales Coaching Studio in Surface Paradise on the Gold Coast. I've been getting out of the Me Media Studio and getting around some really popular people like Ryan Tuckwood, who is founder of Swish Sales Coaching. G'day, Ryan. Thanks for coming. Thanks for popping in. <laughs> so it's awesome to have somebody else in the studio. Amazing. Yeah, it's cool. Amazing. So we're going to uh, do a really raw and I think organic podcast here. Uh, there's, we've got some we've got some questions that we might introduce a little later on, just to have a bit of fun. Yeah. Uh, but mostly, I want people to get to know Ryan. Uh, for those who don't know Ryan, he is a, an Australian distinguished talent visa holder <laughs> something i read recently which you know who really cares <laughs> but ryan seems to care because he wrote it somewhere because so <laughs> it means i can say in australia okay. that's why i care right okay good so it means you can say you're australian now uh i have permanent residency in australia now right. i'm not australian citizen as yet but now i can apply for it um i've been here 13 years came here as a backpacker um, and the, the visa that I was on was a de, uh, de facto to my wife, who's Kiwi, but that never led to permanent residency. And then um, about 18 months ago, I got approached by the Office of Home Affairs, a, a talent scout. So there's, there's talent scouts in the government that look for talent. That is the official title. title. Um, and the one that approached me, she looks for talent from Israel and the UK. Um, stumbled across me and said um, that they offer out 500 of these visas every single year. Would you like to apply? Um, I coach a lot of immigration agents. One, we are a sponsor as well. So Michelle, who was our, um, our agent who helped us sponsor other people, I rang her. She said, if you've been approached by one of the scouts, you've got it. You're done. Apply right now. Um, help me put it through. And eight weeks later, I'm a permanent resident. Okay. <laughs> that was the quickest in the history of the thing, apparently. The quickest in history. Quickest so in history. Not that I'm competitive. Yeah. But, but if I'm going to if I'm going to do it, um, Michelle was actually on our boot camp last week, and she did say I'm still to this day the quickest that they've ever got over the line. So yeah. Yeah. So it means I can stay in the country, which is um, without looking over my shoulder, because uh, de facto is great. But um, if it never led to permanent residency, I didn't know if I could stay. So yeah. Um, and this is my life now. I love Australia. Yeah, mate. You do. And yeah. I've noticed you really adopted the Australian lifestyle. You yeah. Know. Uh, with your kids getting out and playing playing footy yeah. around the traps, especially on the beach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I've not read Kunk as far as like the, the budgie smugglers and, and all of that just yet, and no, all the no, shoeies. No, no. But uh, no, otherwise, I'm pretty Aussie. No. None of those are cool. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, you let's touch on your boot camp. So, you just had a boot camp last week. What? what yeah. Can you explain what the boot camp is? Uh, yeah, the um, the Swiss boot camp. It would probably be our flagship live program that we run. We've been doing it since 2015. Uh, it's evolved a lot. It, it used to be purely for salespeople and, and I'd, I'd almost take that a step further and say transactional salespeople that are just hitting the phones. Um, it's now evolved into, uh, we've had over 10,200 people that have come through um, through the training. Um, last week in particular was the biggest one we'd ever done. We had people in the UK, Spain, um, Sweden, America. People were doing it um, through the middle of the night in bed wherever they were um, on Zoom and then we had um, the best part of 120 people in the room here on the Gold Coast as well so it is designed to be a very intense immersive experience three days sales psychology day one sales process day two and sales execution which sounds horrendous day three um, 
execution basically means they, they make sales. Um, so they hit the phones, they jump on Zoom, and they get results there and then. Uh, okay. It's a crazy experience, which is pretty cool. Right. Does that involve prospecting as well? Uh, yeah, so the, the way I position it, because it's probably important to understand that 32% of our members now are not in sales. Um, so we are a sales coaching organization, but um, as Andrew Banks, one of our investors, once said that it's not sales coaching, it's communication coaching. Um, so what that meant was our, our client base has now evolved away from frontline sales to um, marketing, customer service, uh, HR, administration, reception, team leaders, managers, business owners. Um, so they're all just wanting to articulate their message better. So during that, that we call it a power hour on the, on the final day of the boot camp, we use the skills that we learned on day one and day two um, to then drive a genuine pipeline to the surface. So we, we do, we send, we've got these two text messages that we send on day one to our pipeline, if you've got one, um, and that's designed to remove tire kickers and highlight the genuine buyers, um, and then we close them on the Friday. Um, if you don't have a pipeline, we move the needle. So if it's prospecting, filling the pipeline, it could be team leaders writing out there the elevator pitch or refining their daily structures or their sales um, processes, but either way they walk out of there doing something. Um, and that, just, that was a, born of a bit of a frustration of delivering what we believe to be world-class content over a boot camp, people going away, speak to them four weeks later and they've done nothing. Um, and it was, I actually interviewed a guy called Jeb Blunt over in the UK, uh, US, a sales coach. And he said on one of his programs, he does um, 15 minutes of prospecting. He said, I'll just make them do it before they leave. And I'm like, that's a great idea. So just decided to put in this power hour. Um, and it's on the last one in September, we did $14 million in sales um, in a room of 40 people. This one alone. So we measure that from the four weeks post boot camp. So leads generated and activities generated in that hour. So um, already this weekend, we've done over $20 million since, since Friday. It's Tuesday now. Um, so it, and the, majority, the best thing is the majority of those are not that people think those leads are dead. Um, and they've just ignored them. They've just left them because they make decisions for their prospects, which they shouldn't be doing. So um, that's the boot camp. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. I love it. I love delivering it. It's, it's fun. Um, the the community is amazing. The people that come on it are phenomenal because, um, as you know, we rebranded um, a few years ago. And from, from that rebrand from ISR training to Swish and really putting out there a consistent message of selling with integrity, selling honestly, we now attract the right people. Um, and I know you're the other man on brand, right? And we had it wrong. We got it right. We attract the right people. We get better results. Oh, 100% so, on board there. Yeah. And I think I was, we were talking off camera uh, before we turned on the camera, obviously, uh, about where I was at in business and how, yeah, shedding some of that, I guess, belief that I had to force growth, mm. that I had to get that growth last year and and um, put that to bed, yeah. that, that forced growth. And, and yeah, so our tagline's building brands on purpose and and that's exactly what's come to us is purpose-led brands that mm. are actually solving problems worth solving and yeah. and without even trying. Yeah. Um, so that's amazing to me in itself. So yeah. it, And it's, it's easier said than done. Like we, we knew what we wanted to achieve as in change the perception of sales. We wanted people to look at sales as a noble skill, a noble trait, not to shy away from it. Um, and we wanted to empower good people, not, not dismissing the majority of salespeople, but good people that had a great business 
good product or service, but maybe didn't know how to articulate their value. And our brand wasn't talking to those people. Mm. Like we were just a, another sales training company. Mm -hmm. um, and now like the common feedback, and we, I went through the reviews this morning with some of the team, and people apologize. I, they literally come out of the bootcamp apologizing because they came into it. Maybe they were, I, one of the first questions I ask on the first morning is who's here under dress? Like who doesn't want to be here? And it's amazing <laughs> that you, you'll get 10% of the room, put the hand up. I don't want to be here. Yeah. Um, and they apologize at the end because they've seen sales for a different lens, but the brand wasn't talking to them. And, and now, now they are, their partners are able to bring them along because they're like, just give it a go. Um, so purpose-led, um, vision-driven companies, if you can get that right front end, it's a game changer. Absolutely. Um, and, and achievement and fulfillment, right? Balance, not just achieving now. Um, as you spoke about this this morning, about vanity-driven, uh, vanity metrics. Early years just got caught up in it all. Like yeah. Revenue, Revenue, 100 people in a team. Revenue's Can't think of anything worse than having a team of Revenue's 100. Revenue vanity, profit, sanity, yeah. And easily got caught up in it, yeah. um, as opposed to what my, one of my coaches, Anna Samios, talks about the, um, the jaws of margin, right? making sure that you've got the jaws of margin in place, not just the, the, the top line number that everyone's chasing. It doesn't make mm. any sense. No, yeah. no. And been there. Yeah. So, so yeah, we're, we're talking a bit about about sales and marketing and how there's this disconnect between, I guess, sales and marketing teams. But then, you know, you went on to say that there's actually a disconnect between more than just the sales and marketing. Mm. It's customer service. It's and and you were talking about it, your program's more about a, a communication program. Mm. So. The challenges that I'm seeing when I'm talking to marketers in my mentoring program is that they're getting, you know, bombarded with all these new ideas for marketing when they already have a strategy in place and it's coming mostly from the sales team saying, hey, we should be doing this, we should be doing this, we should be doing this. Mm. Being very reactive when the marketing team have actually gone and been proactive. Yeah and created a strategy and said, look, we've identified these key areas that we want to focus on, uh, but they're having a really tough time, like I think, um, calming the farm and, mm. and, and for want of a better term, saying no. They don't, they don't want to say no, but in some cases they have to. So that's my experience. Yeah. Are you seeing this disconnect in between sales and marketing? M massively, right? It's, and I, I always say that it, it in life, we get the wrong advice from the wrong people. Um, and and I'll, the example is like if, if you're a parent and you've had parenting advice from a non-parent or business advice from a non-business owner, and then I always lead into uh, mock sales advice from the marketing team, right? They, they, we all try to give each other advice when that's, that's stay in your lane is often the, the, the phrase that is used. Um, and it causes a disconnect, but it, it, it impacts way deeper than, than just results. Um, like there's people that are off sick, people that are, um, uh, what's, the, what's the phrase where they're, they're there, but they're not working. It was great, um, not resignation, but people are in, they're in the job, oh, right. but, oh, but, they're, but they're not really performing. They're just yeah. kind of hiding um, because they're not motivated, motivated to do so. And it is, it's a communication breakdown and it, and it comes all the way from the top with what you teach is like, understanding what drives a business. What are the values that underpin everything? What are we trying to achieve as opposed to just having a, these are your KPIs, these are your metrics. You've got to drive X number of leads in every single week. You've got to convert it this. It's like, why? Like, what's, mm. what, what's the reason behind all of this? Having these people come through this funnel, you guys converting here, 
the support team backing up on the back end, what 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 is that? What impact is that actually going to have on the individual that we're speaking to? Mm. So I think what often happens is it's just pure data and numbers that is communicated, if anything, um, not feelings and emotions of where people's mental state is going to be when each employee touches them. Um, every single employee can impact the experience of a client or prospect. And I think when a business truly understands that, whether it be when you walk through the door, the first person that you speak to, um, customer service on the back end, an accounts manager calling you up because you're late with your bill, they're all micro experiences that we have as a consumer. And if we can refine that across the board so we're all delivering the same message, the same energy, um, consistency, all of a sudden sales will go up, retentions will go up, average transaction values go up, people pay quicker, people refer more. Um, and it's not hard to do. The, the, the challenge for us initially, not so much these days, but was getting people to understand that they're all in sales mm. because there's a resistance to believe that we're all in sales. Mm. Um, but once we created content that spoke to all those different divisions, we went from bringing on board of a team of five to like a team of 40, mm. like overnight. And then the team's results are unbelievable. But yeah. like, like, you don't want people to leave in a company because they feel undervalued just because it's a lack of communication. Yeah. Such a waste of talent. You, you just reminded me of something many years ago that I used to say to people when uh, talking to them about selling them a website or a marketing program and how I was, look, I'm a terrible salesperson because I actually didn't want to be seen as a salesperson. Mm. Um, and they didn't want me to be seen as a salesperson. Yeah. So I used to say how terrible I was at it <laughs> uh, to try and, you know, I guess, um, lower the, the, the resistance yeah. you know, to purchase and, and also lower the resistance to being sold too. Yeah. Um, it's funny. It's funny that I had to do that in order to, well, I felt like I had What to you do were that. doing is actually lowering your own resistance. Yeah. So that you felt comfortable to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing, nothing to do with them. So uh, back to back to the, I guess the the team working together. So sales, they're, they're the front line. Yeah, they're front line selling, and they have valuable information for the marketing. Um, so have you worked out uh, a system or or a best way to, I guess, communicate those those that that market research that essentially the, the sales team are doing yeah, it's inadvertently a, it's a good way of putting it it is it's market research it's live finger on the pulse like what is going on what what are people hearing um just just over communicate the whole way through so we've implemented the rockefeller habits um with with all of our meeting rhythms it was something that glenn richards brought into us um it was interesting because glenn brought it in and I didn't really implement it until he introduced me to another lady called Anna Samios and then she reinforced it. I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty good. Like, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I actually spoke at Anna's event in Sydney last week, which is scaling up, which is where the Rockefeller habits are from, Bern Harnish. Um, so having all those meeting rhythms, like every single morning we have a, a morning huddle, we have our daily feedback emails, we have our end of week whip, um, uh, all the Slack channels, like, but doing that as a company, not that sales over there, that's marketing over there. I think it's really important that everybody knows what everybody else has got on their plate. 
keeping those huddles tight so they don't become a bitchy session or a complaint session is that's the skill. So it's like 15 minutes. What's some good news that you had yesterday? What are you working on today? What me- what's your metric for success and what challenges are you facing? You- you're having constant conversations around wins from a client yesterday. What they enjoyed was when they came through the funnel, they liked the upsell, they liked the video that you put through or it might be a marketing team saying, guys, how's that particular funnel working? We tried something new, did you notice that? Oh, we haven't had anybody come through that channel for a while. What I find in companies is that there's too long in between put something out there and checking the data. Um, So we're like six data points, get it back. Six data points, get it back. Um, And that allows us to be very, very quick. I mean, we're a relatively small business, so we can be nimble. It's harder for big, big, huge corporates. Mm. Um, But it means that everybody knows what's working and what's not working very quickly. I I have a meeting every single Monday with all the heads of each department. Um, They will have what we call TCMs, training, coaching, mentoring sessions for 30 minutes with everybody within their team. So every week I'm getting things fed back to me. Um, So just constant communication. Um, Something that we're going to implement, um, which we haven't done, it was something Glenn spoke about last week at our event, um, is the founder or a a middle manager calling a random customer once a week. Um, Literally just me pick up the phone and call somebody in the field and go, how's the team? Not as a let's find out what's going wrong, but just call the team as the founder. What was your experience like? Yeah, yeah, literally what was your experience? He said he used to do that at Green Cross Vets. Um, for many years, and, and people um, were just shocked that you even called, right? Yeah, and what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you got nothing else to do. <laughs> but, so that works yeah. well. We also do um, the QC call. Um, it is a we use it as a follow up strategy, and, and it's a great sales tool. Um, but what it what it really does is um, it 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 gathers the genuine reasons for people not moving forward, or if there was something in the process they didn't like. Um, so. Basically, the way it works is, say say you've got a sales cycle of like six weeks. On week five, we would send them this text message that I mentioned on day one of the bootcamp. We send this text message. If that doesn't get any any sort of attention, um, somebody else in the team would call you up and say, hey, Chris, I know you're speaking to Steve um, a few weeks ago about potentially utilizing blah, blah, blah. I don't know whether you came on board or not. And to be quite frank, that's none of my business. Um, my job is to make sure that Steve did his job correctly. So would you mind taking two minutes to give me a bit of feedback on Steve? Quality control call, find out about Steve. The, I'm laughing the, because I've had this exact experience. From his, with, with yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of dollars because you get the genuine objection. Yeah. Right? You, you always find out the real one. The key is making sure the person making that call doesn't try to turn it into a sales call. Right? The key is yeah. g- gather the information, feed it back to marketing, <laughs> customer service, or sales. And it's so funny when I've gotten those calls because I know the process. I know your process. And, and so... I'm just like, yep, so uh, should I expect a call from Ryan or Steve or something? (laughs) Always, always get a call. And most people don't, and it's like money on the table. (laughs) Always get my call. And because it goes back to the old adage of don't make decisions for your customers. Yeah. Don't assume that it's. Didn't you make that mistake once, or uh, was it someone in your team? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that was. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Well, yeah. That was me years and years ago. just for people that might not have heard it, uh, there was a guy on the phone and um, 
he'd asked me what the top package was. He was literally paying. He'd given me his bank details, his card details, and I was just about to get the expiry and CCV. And he said, what's the top package? And I said, well, it's a bit more expensive. It's $25,000. I don't know if that would be feasible for you right now. And he said, you condescending little prick. (laughs) Put the phone down on me. My old boss pulled me off the floor, put me in front of 40 odd sales guys and was like, tell everyone what just happened. and I got the best lesson of my life because he yeah. said, just because you can't afford something doesn't mean they can't. Um, but we do it. We impart our own limiting beliefs on people. Yeah. Um, and it could be as simple as, I won't call them back today because it's too soon. Um, I won't call them back. It's end of financial year. They, they probably won't want to do this because they've got a couple of kids and they won't want to do that on the week. It's just making decisions for clients. Yeah. Have the conversation. Uh, but it, would, it wouldn't hurt for marketing and customer service to make those calls as well. Like yeah. all, mark, marketing should 100%, like Brendan will sit and he'll listen to the calls. Um, I want him to hear the leads that he's generated. Like and listen touching, to them. You're touching onto the perfect word. And that is what I find most people aren't prepared to do, is mm. truly listen and be open-minded about the feedback that they're getting from the experience that the yeah. sales team, customer service team are having. And that they're too close-minded and they're basically saying, no, this is the way we're doing it. This is what we set up. Yeah. We can't change it. When in all reality, absolutely it can be changed. Mm. And all that really needs to happen is for you to accept that there could be another possibility in yeah. this situation. Yeah. And that it's worth listening to. And sometimes in these cases where, you know, you get this feedback and go, well, that's one. You know, yeah. that's one bit of feedback. It's one person's feedback. Uh, the ideal sample size is 130 pieces of basic data mm. in order to decide whether or not to yeah. sway this way or that. But a minimum size is 30. So, you know, you can react on, you know, one, two, five, ten. Yeah. But you know, maybe there's some metrics that you need to put in place and say, well, hey, let's put that in here. And um, I'm talking, and when I'm saying you, I'm saying marketers, I'm saying mm. business owners, I'm saying businesses um, can track, well, hey, we've had this issue. It's come up a number of times now. How many of those times has it come up? And they're the only the ones that you know about too sometimes. But, so. but that's a really good point, right? So imagine a marketing person coming to a sales guy and saying this has come up too many times now what is too many right then there's an education piece that needs to happen before a marketing plan is put in place to go hey guys we're going to put a new funnel in place we're going to try a new we're going to a b test these two videos with a new copy um we know because we're specialists in our field that we need at least 30 data points ideally 130 before we can understand if this is working in, so in the nicest possible way, don't come to us until you've made 130 calls, right? <laughs> so it needs to be conditioned up front. That's cool. Otherwise, mm. there, there's a, well, no, I'm not, I, I've, made too many, I've, made, I've made lots of calls and they're crap, right? That's what you always hear from sales guys. The leads are crap. I'm like, how many people have you spoken to? Six. Well, like, <laughs> like, uh, uh, but but the, like, lots is, is open to interpretation, yeah. right? So you need to like, lay out the parameters before we even start that so they know not to come to you. And then, then you control the communication. So you waste, uh, so you reduce any sort of waste in pointless conversations. And then you reconvene at a point when you know you're gonna hit that 
ideal data point. And then we have that backup plan. If this isn't working, where are we going to go after? And we can swiftly go into it. Yeah. But it's the, I think it's the communication up front which is a, a challenge, and then it comes across as confrontational because the sales guys are just walking around going, this is bloody crap, these leads are rubbish. And you, you tapped on <coughs> a really important point is that market research is, is so important to me in, in my business when we're doing marketing strategies, right? What does the market actually want? Now, Steve Jobs says the market doesn't know what they want. The customer doesn't know what they want, so let's just do what we think's best, and then yeah. we'll tell them what they want. But, you know, the, the market can tell you a lot of things about maybe what they don't want. Mm. So uh, most people can, actually. I, I, think, I think they know what they want. I don't think they know what they need. I think, that, I think that's the problem. Like when, when we created this business back in the day, like you, might, you probably know this, um, Jack and I knew we wanted to do sales training and we knew we wanted, it, we wanted it to be to be different to whatever else in the market. So we just approached local businesses, like pretty much our football mates that we knew were in business, and said, hey, if we were going to train some sales staff, what skills would you like them to have? What would you like them to, us to teach them? And it was follow-up, build rapport, overcome objections, resilience, so, so they can actually yeah. get through the yeah. challenging periods. So we're like, all right, brilliant. So I went away, created a program, created a very unsophisticated boot camp nine years ago. Um, was like, hey, we got this course. Do you want to put your team on it? It's what you said you wanted, right? So we then put them through that. Some of them were happy, some of them weren't because it wasn't what they what they needed. Um, so there's the, then there's the argument of give people what they want to get to what they need, uh, or we learn to ask better questions mm. um, on the front end because people what they want is just a surface level fix. What caused it? They don't know. If they knew what caused it, they'd give you a different answer so that comes down to then asking the right questions during a strategy session or for, from a sales perspective during a discovery or a consultation um, but it's a it's an ongoing battle um, but it, do, it doesn't it doesn't need to be as hard as it is there's a there's a local company and I won't know I won't name them because you know exactly who they are they've got a team of like 160 sales reps um, and this is on the back end not marketing they've got 160 sales reps and then they've got 60 customer service guys <coughs> and we started coaching just their sales team and we'll always try and bring them all together if, if possible. Uh, no, 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 they don't need it. They're fine on the back end. Anyway, we did a year with the sales guys. Sales were flying and then they were like um, customer so uh, support. Um, for some of the sales guys, not all of them, is just like frustrated. They're angry. They're getting all this crap, all this abuse. And there's just a few sales guys in there that are just over-promising because they're like, get over the line, get my commission, get over the line. And these, all, all these customer support guys, massive turnover of staff, I don't know if it was depression, but they were definitely not enjoying their job. Um, so I got the sales guys to listen, to take it past that, to go and listen to your clients, go and w listen to that onboard. They've got no idea what they just bought because you've just barreled them into a sale. Like it's, ter it's terrible. Mm. Um, so there's this pressure from business owners on sales guys to make sales. That's, that's where it, that comes from because they're not disconnecting from the outcome. They're so connected to making a sale and making a commission. Um, and then there's a total lack of awareness or, or ignorance towards who's going to have to support them on the back end. Some companies, they've never even met the customer support team and they're just handing them over and it's like, I wish you all the best. So it's, it's got to flow all the way. No, that introduction, all the way through. That introduction is, is super valuable and I've seen and I've experienced that and, and 
you don't feel like you're just <coughs> handballed and the buck's been passed and uh, and you can always go back to the original salesperson if you like, yeah. good organisations. Hey, you know, you said this. And I struggled with that. I struggled with that handover. When, um, as I was trying to scale the business, obviously I can't, I can't be the bottleneck, which most of us are. Um, and then if as the founder or as the head coach, people only want to deal with you, which is not ideal. So learning how to build value in your team is a, is a great skill. Like one thing I'll do with companies straight away is receptionist, right? What, who's, who's, who's the first port of call? Who deals with inbound inquiries or deals with the current customers? Okay, brilliant. Let me listen to one of those calls. And it's usually, uh, good morning, it's Sarah, Mimi, how can I help you? Okay, fantastic. I want to talk to sales team. Okay, I'll, I'll pass you through. Right, that's the call as opposed to framing the conversation, building a bit of value in the company, having a little statement around who I'm gonna to select to hand you through to, and then reading a three bullet point bio on that individual to say, um, Sarah, it sounds like Chris is gonna be the best guy for you because he's been in this industry for this amount of time. This is what you're looking for. I'll, pa I'll pass you through right now. And then by the time you pick up the phone, you're like an eight out of 10 already. Like, they are so important on the front desk to get to get it right, but it doesn't happen. They just get handed through, and then they wonder why they're fighting an uphill battle right away, um, which again doesn't need to happen. Sounds to me like you've not only learned a lot about sales, but you've learned a lot about leadership. Passing on the baton to someone in your business so that you're not the bottleneck. Huh. Uh, has that been difficult for you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I will say I'm not a great business owner. I never. I, I don't think Jack or myself, without speaking on behalf of Jack, were great business people. We're great salespeople. So we knew how to drive revenue. We knew how to make sales, but we didn't know how to build an infrastructure that supports it. Well, that's just you it. saying that to make yourself feel better. Because <coughs> um, we were crap. <laughs> no, no. Because that's what you said to me before when I said about I'm not a good salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> well, Glenn Richards called us on it. So post Shark oh, okay. Tank. He, oh, he said you guys are driving yourself into the ground. Like post Shark Tank, we had um, massive uptake of, for obvious reasons, um, but we didn't have the infrastructure to support it. And what I think we'd inadvertently done is hire a lot of Jacks and a lot of me's and no diversity in the company, um, especially not from an age perspective. Um, we were all, we were targeting like young entrepreneurs, um, which is great, but then they get entrepreneurial when they see you working and they go, I'm gonna go and start my own business. Um, they look at us and go, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. So we were losing these young entrepreneurs, which is great, they were starting their own uh, businesses, but it didn't build a, a stable business. Um, and then, as you know, I'm an ex-engineer. I was an engineer for, for eight years, so I'm a perfectionist. Like, everything has to be right. I'm, uh, there's no room for error. So my, my natural instinct is to micromanage and make sure and double-check everything, Ooh, which is horrendous. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't be on stage. There's too many variables. I, I should not live in the stage world. But micromanagement is, is a, something I think you need to do, realise how bad you've done it, to, in order to then go, well, uh, actually, yeah, <laughs> I don't need to do that anymore, and then see um, how people thrive. Yeah, and then uh, there's probably two parts to that. There's that's the way I'd always been managed, and I didn't mind it, right? Because I didn't like getting things wrong. So I liked people watching over my shoulder. I actually liked people checking up on everything that I did. Um, and the second part was the company I found out I was working at when I first arrived here, the, the call center, that turned out to be like a boiler room environment, turned out to be a scammy company. 
and I just lost trust in everybody. I, these people that I was quite close to, and I'm like, you're a con artist. Like, how did I not? I was so naive to it all. Mm. So I didn't trust anybody. So then I'd bring someone into my company. I don't trust you, and I'm going to watch everything that you do. Like, it's a recipe for disaster. And um, now I've got, I've, I've, I've learned, and I still have to be conscious around it. Is like give trust as opposed to like saying you've got to earn it. No one has to earn my trust. Everybody has my trust, and it's yours to lose. Um, and th th it was interesting. Um, I don't think I spoke about this on a podcast before. Andrew came in here 2021 in Jan 21. Andrew Banks, and he said to me, "I know where you're at." He said, "So we had, we had I brought him in because it was middle of COVID, and everyone's freaking out." And I said, "Can you come in here and just..." meet the team and, and have a bit of a pep talk for everyone. And he did and he was great. And then all the team went out and I stayed in the boardroom with him and he says, I know where you're at. I said, where am I at? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad you know. Yeah, I'm glad Tell you me. know, I'm freaking out. He says, you need, to, you need to shed some skin. He says, you need to, there's gonna be a change in the guard here. He says, um, I reckon 75% of your team will be gone in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. Um, and he goes, it needs to happen. He goes, I'm, we're, we're talking about moving the gun from B to C to B to B, focusing on higher average um, size clients. Um, what got you here won't get you there, all of that. And he goes, yeah, I think there's gonna be some big changes. And that was the best part two years ago. And we've had 80% change over the team. We've half the size of the team and tripled the revenue. Um, had, talk about getting the right clients in. Um, you gotta get the right team in as well. Um, and the, I, I had the right team then, but I didn't have the right team for where we wanted to be. Um, and that's nothing against anybody else that previously worked here. It's just that sometimes we come to the end of the road in relationships and journeys and that's, mm. that's cool. So leadership, I'm still learning. We've got Mark Kamawi, I think you know. Um, do you know Mark, Mark Kamawi on the Gold Coast? He's one of our leadership Maybe. coaches. I learned a lot from him. Um, Anna Samios, who I mentioned before, she's amazing. I learned a lot from just watching people or going into the businesses that we coach. Fortunate to work with some big corporates and seeing what not to do. I do know like, Mark, sorry. Um, yes. He would know Mark. Um, like, because we get, we get to lift the hood up on so many companies, we get to talk to the sales teams, the, the managers, and we get to hear about the way they talk about their leaders. So. Mm. I think that's in a way it's quite a fortunate position to be in because we're like oh shit, well maybe i was doing that as well so yeah i'll stop doing that because my my team are not going to give me that feedback you know they yeah might somebody external yeah yeah it is a it is a great position to be in when you can uh see into other people's businesses see how they're operating and go all oh, right um yeah maybe i shouldn't do things that mm. way myself and do things more that way we did, I'll tell you what we did, which is quite interesting. Um, a few years ago, we did an anonymous survey of the team. It was a founder's survey. It was about Jack and I. Um, and the, the, the standout bit of feedback for me on areas to improve was just tell us what you want. Stop beating around the bush. Like, I've always been someone. I think I got exactly the same thing <laughs> um, 10 years ago. Yeah. And it, I don't know if it comes from a desire to be liked or not want to upset people, but I've... I've always been of the belief that, but and I know now it probably comes across as passive aggressive more than anything. That just surely they'll figure it out. Like if I keep if I keep dropping enough little comments, they'll get at what I mean. Whereas people are like, can you just just tell me? Like if I'm doing something wrong, just tell me. Whereas I'm like, do you think you could have done that any better? Um, I think it came across as maybe it was the way I was delivering it um, back in the day. So I've learned to just 
cut through the noise now mm. and just tell people if uh, I don't agree with something or just, and, and I've had to become a better decision maker as well, especially since Jack exited three years ago. The team need a leader, right? You, you gotta step up and they need to know you at least appear to have your shit together <laughs> at some stage. <laughs> Glenn, Glenn Richards said, it, he says that during COVID, he goes, right, your job right now, Ryan, is to absorb everybody's fear and exude confidence. Yeah. Uh, and, and the way you do that, and he says, you can, you can exude confidence by saying, I don't know what's going to happen. As long as you have clarity in that. And I did. I came back in, told the team. I was like, guys, I don't know if we're going to survive. And I didn't. I, I no idea. But what I do know is we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that we do. Yeah. And every single client that we've got on board gets a world-class experience still. Yeah. That experience was empowering for me. I, during, during, uh, the, during COVID, mm. I'd previously been through GFC 1.0 and I was calling that GFC 2.0 and then yeah I had my bout of depression and um, and I felt and that's actually when I was um, out of out of my depression so it, mm. COVID hit and I went and I'm gone I've been through the ringer that many times yeah. that this shit ain't even gonna touch me you know mm. and uh, and I learned also that our marketing methodology and just marketing advertising in general when you when you actually go harder during those tough times you actually come out much better mm. and uh, it was actually my client who who described the analogy to me which is the Amer the American bison so um, or American buffalo however you want to talk, talk, talk about them they when they see a storm coming they're different to cows. So cattle will actually run away from the storm and try and outrun the storm. Whereas the American bison will run straight headfirst into the storm and they come out of it quicker. Yeah. Because they obviously yeah. head down, straight through it, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so that we use that terminology so much, that, that story so much now. And it worked. It worked. Mm. And I did the same with the team. And to be honest, because I'd built so much resilience through through eating shit <laughs> sandwiches um, in business those other times it was like everybody else is feeling shit well yeah. hey I, I've, I've been there yeah I know exactly how to get through this you've got pers perspective right, right? And, and it was fan and uplifted the team yeah everyone was on zoom I was the only one in the office mm. and uh, it was like who's done their exercise this morning Who's, you know, who's eating a healthy breakfast? Who's drinking water? You know, like those essential ingredients yeah. to a, having a great day. And then like, all right, let's go. Who's speaking to the clients? Who's getting this done? And blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it was so positive. And I had comments from the team that who were thinking it was all doom and gloom, mm. uh, saying, wow, this is so uplifting. Yeah, you, you, you pulled me through that. Mm. I, I always talk about um, like the um, I would say, don't forget your arm, like in, in anything, like your actions, your reactions, and your mindset. Right? The, we can control in any environment what we do, uh, what actions we take, whether it be going to the gym, drinking the right amount of water, eating the right foods, going for a walk in the morning, dials on the phone, we can control all of that. We can control the way we react to certain situations, and you get those two right, you control your mindset. But most people don't, they let no. external factors creep in and even just through osmosis it will go in eventually if you're hearing the same crappy stories long enough there's a lot of i think wisdom that's come about through age and experience 
isn't there? You know, um, nine years in business yourself, 40 something. Just turned 40. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't, 40. Don't give me too many more than that. <laughs> Just turned 40 in October, yeah. Good. Um, and, and sometimes, well, I've heard people say that, uh, you know, the first 20 years of your life is just the training. Now, now you're ready. Now you're ready for the real, the I, real battle. Right? I was, I was. Now you're prepared. Weirdly, I don't know. I had a little bit of a moment when I turned 40. I'm like, that is it? I'm like, I got to take life serious. I got a personal trainer, so I'd eat him right. Like, I'm, going, <laughs> I'm like, is this my midlife crisis? Is this, is this what it looks like? And I remember having a conversation, I actually interviewed here, um, Theo. Yeah. from Usher Group um, and uh, we'd finished the podcast and I was sitting uh, just having a conversation with him over there because he's quite spiritual and um, and I said to him I said oh I'm not religious and I'm not overly spiritual and that either but I said I'm, I'm thinking about it more more frequently and he goes how old are you and I said oh, I'm 39 he goes yeah that's about right and I'm like what do you mean he goes yeah, you go through the cycle, like 20, and I'm like, oh, don't tell me I'm just falling into the exact same <laughs> that everybody does. Um, but it makes sense, like, you do start questioning things and, and looking at looking outside for, um, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but I've got kids and I want to make sure that I, I'm the best version for them. I, I don't want to come into the team and be, be stressed. I want, I often talk about that battle of fulfillment versus achievement. I've earned lots of money. I want to love what I do. Every day I want to enjoy it. And Andrew Banks said something really profound on Wednesday last week. He said he had this epiphany, was the way I explained it, that this is not his body. He said, this ain't my body, this is just rented. And the same as if I was renting a car, then I'd have to look after it and service it. And, and it was funny, all three of them had the same theme of health and fitness and uh, mental health and what they do, their, their, their daily structures and in place. And, and I hadn't really done that since I finished playing football about four years ago. And I'm, I'm never going to be a, a fatty. I don't think I'm going to put on lots of weight, but um, my PT called me skinny fat. Uh, <laughs> so it doesn't mean I was healthy, um, but I definitely know that getting up early, looking after myself, I come in here and I'm a better version for all of them and hopefully for the kids and that as well. So mm. it's, it's a journey, isn't it? Mm. Like, I don't know if it will ever stop. No, but it's natural for us at 40. Because, you know, our metabolism's slowed down double the amount from when we were 20. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and we're, now we're starting to see the physical signs or, or feel the physical signs yeah. of, of that, that change in age. And my sensei, he said he was reading up about the Stoics. And they said that, um, I think it was Mark, Marcus Aurelius said that even if we live to a thousand, when we reach the age of 800, we'd be worried and concerned about mm-hmm. the amount of things that we hadn't done yeah. and, and, and that we needed to really get on with life. Yeah. And so, therefore, it's natural for us, mm. you know. And you combine uh, that with you know, what's happened in the last two, work, two years, yep. three years, it's accelerating uh, people's thoughts. There was, um, you know, like personality profiling, discs yes. and all of that. So yeah. um, I did my accreditation through um, a company called TTI in Sydney. And when I first did it, they explained that we have our natural personality type and that will, that will never change. You have your default position um, and short of a traumatic event or a near-death experience, um, maybe you lose a loved one or something like that, your natural personality type will never, ever change. Your adaptive can swing, but your natural doesn't change. But in the last two years since COVID, and they've done 35 million profiles over 30 years. 
they've had the biggest change ever of natural personality types. COVID has acted, even if you didn't lose anyone, it has acted the same as a traumatic or, or life-threatening event. Mm. So people's natural personality types have changed, which is causing people to go, screw it, I'm gonna go and do something new. I'm gonna go and live in Bali. Yeah. I'm gonna go and whatever. But people are actually changing because of what happened around the world. That, that was the same in my experience life experience and research around values, which is exactly mm. the same thing, personality types, you know, attitudes, uh, that your, your values don't change unless you, you, you meet with a adverse mm. life event. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, the amount of people that went, you know what, work doesn't matter, being in an office doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, all that matters to me is that I'm happy and healthy and I'm with yeah. my family and yada, 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 you know? Um, you know, I don't need the house. Look, I'm going and live in a van. Mm. You know, like yeah, seen loads of it. <laughs> loads, right? Yeah. Loads. Uh, It'll be interesting to see in four or five years' time if that goes full swing, um, and then we default back to materialistic things or, or whatever it was before, um, when people realise that we do still need some money. Like, uh, we, we do live in an economic world. I believe it will. Uh, everything happens in cycles, and even even with the advent of, uh, you know, the internet, you know, we've, it's nearly a 30 year cycle you see fashions, um, you know, come around again. I wear all of them at the same time. I uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you do, yeah, you normally have a, sometimes I see you in cut, cut open jeans and then a suit jacket. Flares. Uh, <laughs> um, so fashions, fashions is a really popular one. Music is um, another mm. one that you can see. So it's the nostalgic event comes yeah. back around to relive itself. But the internet's done on a funny thing where it's actually mold, like merged a lot of, I guess, um, uh, what's the word? I guess nostalgic events because uh, people can dial up any song that they want. They can dial up mm. any look that they want. And, you know, you do you is an actual saying, right? <laughs> you know, so just be you, and, yeah. you know, and people becoming more used to, okay, yeah, just be me. That's Everybody okay. else is taken, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. so there's people becoming more, uh, I guess, accustomed to that. But I think it will happen in cycles, just like it did with our parents, mm. you know? Uh, I was one of the lucky kids. So I lived a very privileged up upbringing. You know, I'd never faced adversity yeah. really my entire life until such time that I faced um, undiagnosed depression. But it was yeah. still I was, you know, I didn't really want to get out of bed. Mm. You know, I was pretty shit, and it lasted around two years. Yeah, wow. So that that um, moment in my life helped me reframe things and helped me you know, find the values that are important to me. Mm. And, and so these kids that are growing up now, they, they're not experiencing much adversity, really. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely there's different, mm. you know, I, I guess socioeconomic areas that are, that are occurring. And hey, some people even say the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, right? Yeah. So, but if you look at it generally, there's, you know, we're going to go through potentially another recession, right? Uh, so that happened in the 90s. I was oblivious to it all. Yeah, of course. Oblivious. Yeah. I was riding my bike around, you know, hanging out with my mates, 
Having a great old time. Yeah, life's good. Yeah. My parents was, were very, I don't know, lucky or smart at the time that they had a housing commission loan, which means they didn't actually experience the 19% or 17% interest rates. So they had a fixed rate interest rate at 6% for the life of the loan. And everyone else copped it mm. hard. Don't know how they did that or, or whatnot, but um, yeah, they, they managed it uh, really well on the proactive up front where I saw people having a sell and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Well. So this experience is definitely going to impact everybody as the homeowner now. And so what's that gonna look like for the kids? Are the kids gonna go, well, home ownership's not important, you know, material stuff's not important, or mm. are they just gonna go, just goes over their head? I remember when I was young, yeah. like as I said, it just went, I was oblivious to it all. Well, it's a tough one, because we, we spoke about our kids having a very different upbringing, definitely to my childhood, like yeah. where I'm fortunate enough to live and business and all of that jazz, like, I didn't, I didn't have any of that, but I, I was very well loved. My parents were, they were fantastic. They were always there for me, but we didn't have a lot of money. So I want to make sure that our kids experience def, uh, different cultures, uh, hence the reason to go over to Bali um, in April and um, expose them to just different things. No, I mean, we're not going to live in a slum. We're not going to, um, we'll probably still stay in a nice villa or something. No, but, but they will see, but they will see the see goings it. on. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think that's- And smell different stuff too. Gen yeah, yeah, yes, gen <laughs> yeah, genuinely. Um, and I think that's like, you, you want to try and prepare them best for the real world um, and not, not kind of sugarcoat anything because the yeah. real world's bloody hard. Mm. Um, Having conversations with people at certain times, especially around depression or anxiety, that's tough. Like, I, I, even in sales sense, I always say to the team, like, give yourself a chance. Do everything you can to give yourself a chance should a sale need to be made, right? You don't go in there to make a sale, but you do everything right to give yourself a chance. I think parenting's the same. You just do everything you can to bring the best little humans up into the world and give them the best chance of, of being a great human once they reach adulthood. Mm. Um, at some stage, you've got to kind of let them go like like anything like any yeah. sort of leadership which um, yeah. say that now mine are only four and two so uh yeah no see so how, if they want to move to the uk like not a chance i haven't got a passport sorry <laughs> <laughs> you're never english no it's it's interesting and as they grow older you you keep on trying to do the, exactly what you're doing i've got 17 14 and seven yeah, three wow. girls um <laughs> oh, that's so yeah it, it doesn't get easier yeah um at least in my case and but it does get more interesting, mm. and um, it's I've learnt to be really accepting of that change and and uh, and rolling with the the punches, so to speak, mm. of teenagehood. So, mate, um, that's pretty much time. I wanted to ask you one last question, which I don't know why this is important for I'm me. I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your spirituality at now? Ah. Uh. Probably still the same. Curious. Uh, um, and when I say spirituality, like I'm getting uh, um, curious around meditation and breath work. I don't know if that's, I don't know if it even fits in the same world. Um, I don't know. I think it, it does. Uh, yeah. It does. Um, well, it's, it's tapping into Earth's energy. I, yeah. th I think I've just become a l more aware, and hopefully this comes across the right way, the more 
elite performers and, and there's a lot of people out there that are blagging business that are telling you they're doing this and they're not doing anything and they're so focused on money and I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more aware of those that are, have genuinely achieved a high level over a consistent um, a, a prolonged amount of time but they also have other life things going on as well it's not just all business which is oh, I don't I don't want this to define me. I would love this to be my legacy. I'd love to be known as the guy that created Swish and, and ethical sales. Well, um, that's already done, mate. So what's your next one? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so then I'm like, okay, what's the common denominator? And every single one of these people, they, they do seem to practice some sort of breathwork, meditation. Um, they tap Where into something deeper. Ice baths. Uh, I've done yet? it a couple of times. No, I haven't done it frequently. I've done it twice. Yeah. Um, it's all right. <laughs> um, I know I'm feeling great through training, through gym. I know I'm never going to be a massive bloke, but I feel, feel good for it. Yeah. Um, and I dare say that, that this is what I've noticed, that the more I streamline this business, the more trust I put into my team, the faster it grows without me, the more time I get to work on me. So that when they do see me again, better version of me. I used to always get sick on boot camps. I used mm. to always get sick leading up to big events. Mm. Um, or past event, um, just after the event, because I was like stressed, stressed, stressed. I was so worried about everybody else and everything being in place, like going around, checking the workbooks. and the. I just turn up and deliver the content now. The team are unbelievable. Like getting that right, getting the right people around me. I often talk about creating your circle of inspiration. Um, I used to call it create a hit list of people you want to get out of your <laughs> circle. So like reducing my exposure to people or the conversation with certain people that doesn't add value to me. Yeah, I call that a no dickheads um, policy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is hard because usually it's like family members or people that are really close to you. So that's why I changed no, it to like reduce your exposure to <laughs> clients. Yeah, that's, that's true as well. Um, and that has allowed me to find or make more time to, to, to train and, and to, I, I just go and take the dog for a walk in the morning after training and just sit and do a bit of breathing. But yes. it's just probably where I'm at right now. Cool. One final question I ask everybody on the podcast. Where have you been most proactive and how has that benefited you? Most productive? Proactive. Proactive. <laughs> it's going to be a really boring answer. Um, I love the what-if scenarios, um, as in I don't like risk, so I'm proactive in thinking about worst-case scenarios all the time right? in any anything. So. What if that marketing plan doesn't work? Um, what if this employee doesn't work? What if this boot camp fails? What if Zoom goes off halfway? Like, it's more of a practical and literal proactive nature that I have um, of making sure things don't go wrong. Um, and I think that saved us a lot of time over the years. Um, a, a human version of that would be um, understanding human behavior. Uh, I think one of the best decisions I ever made was to go down the behavioral science, emotional intelligence route, um, not just from a sales perspective. I mean, that is a game changer there. It's fascinating, isn't it? Just <laughs> you don't need to understand sales. You just need to understand people. You understand how people tick. What, what, I don't like the word manipulate, influence, um, or com hate the word convince. The first three letters don't sit well with me. Um, I like the word inspire. If you can inspire somebody to do something um, for positive change, that is cool. So I think being proactive to be fascinated to, around that and, and just consume has been great for me. Mm. I don't Fantastic. know if that's the answer you wanted. But no, that's been nice. That's my answer. It's your answer. 
I had a massive list of questions here that we're going to have fun with, but we've run out of time. It was absolutely fantastic talking to you, mate. And uh, thank you so much for watching the Proactive Podcast. Uh, I'm here with Ryan Tuckwood, and uh, he is a legend. And he did found Swish Sales Coaching, and uh, that's what he's well known for. So you need a new, you need a new dream, mate. Okay, another business. <laughs> <laughs> no, just a new dream. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for watching. You can see us on YouTube, uh, search for Me Media. It's, we put these podcasts on my website, memedia.com.au, and it's all over Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Search for Proactive Podcasts with Chris Hogan. Thanks for watching. Cheers, mate. mate. How do people follow you? Uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Ryan Tuckwood Official. Um, you go on TikTok if you want. Don't know what I'm doing, but there's some content on there. <laughs> <laughs> or swishsalescoaching.com for the company. Thank you. Cheers, guys.